One more time without the piano. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of so, Father, that is why we stand before you and sing to you, to give you praise and glory, because you're the only one worthy. Lord, may our lives be evidence of your grace. Use the next few moments as we continue to worship you in your word to that very end in our lives, that we would not leave here un by the power of your spirit and for the glory and the fame of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and in his name alone we pray these things and all God's people said amen please have a seat man you guys can sing where has that been like seriously that was awesome as you sit down and get situated open up your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah it is towards the middle of your Bible. It's to the left of the Psalms and the Proverbs. We have been in it now. This is our fifth week in this book, and I want to ask you a question. What is this book about? What is the book of Nehemiah about? There's not one right answer, by the way. An answer to prayer. Being an answer to prayer. Scott says, awesome. What else? God's glory. Right, ultimately, we've talked about how like, this is a book that was written by Nehemiah who lived during a time where God's people had been in captivity through a series of nations in the world um, for over 300 years at this point. And they had pretty much just lost their fervor for the Lord. And he is now being used along with Ezra, who is the book before Nehemiah in your Bible, um, he is being used to revive God's people. And ultimately what Nehemiah is about, it is about, it is about kingdom. Right? And I talked a couple weeks ago about how we need to start seeing ourselves more and more as kingdom people. This idea of kingdom is a thread that runs throughout scripture. And you'll see that unfold, not just in this book, but as we go through other books of the Bible. Kingdom, we, we, are, we are kingdom people meant to bring God glory. Right? I say this a lot. We are kingdom people meant to live by kingdom power for kingdom glory. And, and, what we, what we, and why any of that matters is we have an identity crisis in the church today. And so did God's people during Nehemiah's time. Right? That's why the church seems so, and I'll just use the word impotent. It's not because the power of God is diminished. It's not because the Holy Spirit isn't around anymore. It's because we have stopped seeing ourselves as first and foremost kingdom people. His kingdom. And we define ourselves in so many other ways. And then, oh, by the way, we have this enemy, the accuser of the brethren, who whispers these lies to us to try to get us not only to define ourselves in other ways that might not be bad, but then he beats us down and we start to define ourselves in ways that aren't even good. We're weak. We're feeble. We're, guys, that, that is all a lie from the pit of hell. What we have seen in these first four weeks of Nehemiah is in the first week we talked about how Nehemiah, had, he'd, he'd been born in captivity, he was a cupbearer for, for King Artaxerxes, and he, um, and he had never even been to Jerusalem. But he hears a report about what was going on there and how cold 
the people of God had become to the glory of God, and it grieved him. So he was moved by a need, and he started to pray. And then we saw in week two that he, he gets to go. The king says, yeah, go. So he goes there, and he starts to rally the people. He's like, hey, this is what God has sent me here to do. And the people all start to get on board. And then in week three, we saw how we were all in this together. And, and the whole chapter is just a whole list of, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him. And it was this idea of while they were building the wall, they were a shield wall, right? Of, of to just brothers and sisters working together. And then last week, Jeff did a great job teaching through my favorite chapter in the book, actually, chapter 4. And, and it really showed us the need for the shield wall. Because the enemy will attack, and is attacking. And he isn't going to relent from that attack until he gets sent into the lake of fire for all eternity. And so we have to be prepared for his attacks. Now today we're going to look at being marked as a leader. Chapters 5 and 6. Yes, I have two chapters to get through today. And we're going to try to end early so we can have our family gathering. So please pray for me and wisdom as we do this. So that we can get through these two chapters um, in a God-glorifying way. But guys, you might be sitting here going, Mark is leader. Oh good, I'm out. I can start scrolling through you know, Facebook while he's talking because I'm not a leader. Wrong. Maybe you're, a young, maybe you're a kid in this room. And we love having the kids in this room. I'll let you in a little secret. You're a leader, young ones. You're not growing up to become leaders. You're not the future of the church. You are the church. That's why you're here. Right? And so we have to see ourselves that way. You say, wait a minute, I'm not really a leader though. Guys, here, let me just, if you're a Christian, you are absolutely a leader. Somebody is watching you. No matter, no matter your age, no matter, even if you're an unbeliever, people are watching you. But as a follower of Christ, if the mission is to make disciples that make disciples, a disciple is just a word for a learner. A learner implies that there is a teacher. He's talking to us. You, teacher. You, not you, Doug, pastor up here. You, disciple of mine, Jesus, you. He's saying you. You are a teacher. Now go get some learners so that they can go become teachers and teach other people. What's, what is that if that's not leadership? Right? So every Christian is marked as a leader simply by the mission. It is the mission he's called us to. And if the mission is to make disciples and the motivation is the glory of God, that brings us to today's big idea. Today's big idea we're going to see in these, five, in these two chapters is how do we lead people into seeing the glory of God? How do we? Not, not just not yet. There's a corporate we in this. How does our church? How does the church? How does, there's, a, there's, a, there's a family we in this. How can our family? And there's an individual we in this. How can I lead people to see the glory of God? We're going to jump in in chapter 5, verse 1. I'm not going to read all the verses because as good disciples of Christ... Here at Cornerstone, you were given daily readings. They even come right to your inbox if you sign up for the In the Word today on our website. And you were, your daily reading this morning was chapters 5 and 6. So you've already read all these words, so I don't have to read every, each and every word of them to you. But we will go through, um, some of you are putting your heads down like, don't look at me. So you're, you, it's okay, there's grace here. Just do your daily readings. I'm telling you, they're helpful. So let's pick it up, and we're going to pick it up in our, in our first point on how we can lead people to the glory of God. One is we lead by example. And Nehemiah, this is why I love Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah in particular. He was a brother who led by example. It says, now there arose a great outcry, I'm in chapter 5, verse 1, there arose a great outcry of the people 
and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Now, what he said, so, so, so understand what he, what he that's his way, like, they, they were using brothers and sisters in the Old Testament, just like we do in the New Testament. He's saying, within the family of God, there is now outcry against one another. There is dissension, guys, can you imagine? Can you imagine there being dissension in the family of God? Right? Like, I mean, like, you know, the five of us, we're all Christians. Like, me and my wife and my three daughters, we're all adult Christians. We, we get along perfectly all the time. Right? That's why we all love Valentine's and stuff, because it's the one day that we're like, well, I guess I'm supposed to unconditionally love you. No. Actually, it's the other 364 days a year, too. Right? Not just the made-up Hallmark holiday, but that's... I stick to my notes, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Guys, but here's what we got to get out of this. E even in today's context, but certainly even in light of what we saw, what Jeff taught on last week in chapter 4, are there attacks that come to the church, God's people, our brothers and sisters, from outside of the church? Absolutely there are. But guys, I'm going to tell you right now, the, the thing that has damaged the church for the 2,000 years since Christ left and the church was born, as we just sang, is fighting within the church. By far. Way more churches have gone under. Way more. Because, because I, I know pastors personally who have stepped away from, being, from their pastorate. I don't know of a single one. I honestly don't know of a single one that has ever said, you know what, it's just getting too hard to do church in America today. Especially now with the election results. So I'm out. Every pastor I know who's still in the game is going, you know what, I, I, the election results and the potential persecution of the church in America just makes me want to step into the game even harder. Here's what makes pastors quit. Fighting within the church. Bickering. Gossip. Slander. But it's not just about, it's, it's, what, it's why, guys, this is what makes people leave the church. It's not just, this isn't about pastors. It's, it, in fighting within the church, gossip, slander, not thinking the best of one another, not preferring one another, has done more damage by far to the church around the globe than any outside entity ever could, except that the real outside entity behind all the division and the dissension is Satan. When, when, when there is division, get this, when there is division in the body, Satan is at work. Whether that's in a corporate church like ours, or whether that's, if, if there's division within the body between Carrie and I, Satan is at work in that moment. That's what he is about. He is about dissension and slander and gossip. It's all over the place. What are we supposed to be about? Glad you asked. Keep your finger in Nehemiah if you want, and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians is towards the end of your Bible in your New Testament. You go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, the Corinthians, and then you're going to get to a bunch of these Ians, as uh, Taylor Morris used to say. And the first one is Galatians. Galatians, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 6, or, or chapter 6, verse 1, because this is what the church is supposed to do. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass or transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in the spirit of gentleness, keeping watch over yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Man, everything in there that Paul's saying is, this is the first letter that he writes to the church. This was written probably 10 years after he gets saved. And he's like, so already, 10 years into the church program, there's already a need for him to write this letter. 
He's like, bear with one another. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So he's saying, if you think you're better than your brother and sister sitting next to you, the problem is you, not them. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself and not his brother or not his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he shall reap. Guys, are you, as a, as a husband or wife, as a parent, as a member of the church, are you speaking words of life or words of death over the people in that people group? Do you speak words of life over your spouse? Do you speak words of life over your children? Do you speak words of life in this church? Do you come to church looking right this morning? Did you come to church going, man, what can I bring to this? I want to come in. I hope they pass that mic around because I really want to pray something over our body. Or do you come going, man, I hope I get something out of today. Right? We're here to build one another up. Guys, if drama defines your life, that's your problem. You're like, yeah, but Doug, you just don't understand. All these people that have problems come to me. You know why they come to you? Because they have found out that you're the kind of person that in, in, the, in the spirit of good counsel loves to hear gossip, loves to hear about problems, loves to hear about slander. That's what, if you're, if you're, I'm not saying every time anybody comes to you, but if you're surrounded by people who are constantly coming to you with their drama, which what, the, what I mean by drama is their problems with other people in the church, in the family, in the, that's because they've sensed something in you that's not healthy. So you've got to deal with that. We'll keep going. For, one, for the one who sows in his own flesh will from his flesh reap. Now you've got to remember, Galatians is the book we looked at this in our D group on Friday night, didn't we, guys? It said, we looked at, Galatians is the book that's where he talks about the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are. He lists a whole lot of lust issues. And, he, and the, the, two, the two big topics that, he, that Paul lines out in, in Galatians 5, there must be 18 or 19. He lists them out. The two big issues, lust issues, like flesh stuff, and fighting. Dissension, disputes, anger, jealousy, bitterness, slander. Those are the deeds of the flesh. Then he says, but the one who sows in the Spirit will, by him will, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is, it's listed in Galatians 5. You can turn there in 23, 24. Right? It's, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that we're supposed to be practicing with each other in our marriages, in our homes, in the church. Look at what he says. He keeps going in verse 9. And let, us and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Verse 10. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. That he's talking about the, the church of God. Guys, I, I just have to take a minute and stop here for a second, because whether it's back when we bought our piece of property, uh, however many years ago that was, up on Happy Valley, and we're going to talk about all this at the end of the service, and so... Try not to get distracted. Or whether it's the current thing we're, we're moving into, Lord willing, soon up on Deer Valley. Guys, I, here's what I've, I've been accused of. Not just I, but the leadership has been accused of. And Oh, well, ever since we got, we got about a building, we stopped helping people. 
That conversation has never happened in leadership. I just want to tell you right now, whatever it was going to cost us to build a building or to build out this building is going to affect how we help each other, benevolence we call it, zero. We have, from day one as a church, always put aside off the top of every offering money to help the church because of this idea in scripture and that will never change and it will not diminish there is people is what ministry is about not buildings and we will not let building get in the way of building up the kingdom of God that's for free verse I want to go back to though because okay I get that but go back to why is Paul on this rant we'll go back to chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 I mean still in Galatians for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds familiar. He's quoting Jesus, right, who was quoting the Old Testament. He says, but then, but then look, here's why he went on the rant. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Guys, internal drama has done far worse damage than our culture ever could. I am far more concerned about how backbiting and gossip and slander, especially in the season of change that we're in right now, could do damage to our church than anything Joe Biden or his team of people could ever throw at us. I am not worried about that. He is under God's control. What I am concerned about is how we can create dissension within the church. I don't have, I, I, as far as I know, there isn't any. I'm not, there's not some dark thing. He's like, what, is there some conversation going on around here that I don't know about? There's, no, there's nothing going on that I know of. Praise God. But we have not been immune to it in our 10 years. And many of you know that. Let's go back to Nehemiah. So I'm going to pick it up in Nehemiah. Oh, I don't know where I'm going to pick it up. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to... Um, here's what they were doing wrong. Here's in their time. They were living in a culture where they, where they were demanded to pay taxes because they were under some, they were subservient to a, to a kingdom. They were charging each other interest on loans that they were, because people didn't have money to, to buy food. People didn't have money to pay their taxes. They were loaning, so the richer people were loaning to the poorer Jewish people, but then they were saying, oh, by the way, you're going to owe me some interest on that money. It got worse than that. If, in verses 5 and 6, they actually started selling their children as slaves in order to just survive. Here's the problem with that. It wasn't, you go, how could a parent sell their child as slaves? Well, if you had 12 of them, and selling two of them allows 10 of them to stick around, and that's your only option, that might be what you would do. The problem wasn't with the parents that were selling their kids as slaves or servants to these other families. The problem was with the people that were buying them. That was exactly what God told them not to do in Deuteronomy 15. He said, if there are poor people in your midst, all of you come together and help one another. Do not do this. And somehow, just as we all do, we shoot our wounded, we eat our young. It's just how we are. It's because we're all about self-preservation. And that's the big idol that, that Nehemiah is trying to get over, is trying to fight now. So let's pick it up in verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. Guys, understand that anger, although I, I know there's a lot in the Bible about anger, be angry, but do not sin um, don't let the sun fall down on your anger. Guys, righteous anger about the things in kingdom of God is not a bad thing. If you're never, like, angry about what's going on in the, in the kingdom and how God is being, how God is being um, diminished in our culture, then you're probably not hard-hearted enough. 
but you can't let that anger turn to sin. So here's what I love about what he does next. So he's angry. He's like, you people, seriously. And then he says, so I took counsel with myself. That's a fancy way of saying I prayed. I prayed and meditated. And if you remember, this was Nehemiah's way. If you look at chapter 1, verse 4. The first week, chapter 1, verse 4. As soon as he gets the report from his brothers, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued to fast and pray before the God of heaven. His first response was to pray. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Then the, so the king says, what you, what's your problem, man? Why are you so down and discouraged? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I spoke. His first flinch was to pray. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on, our own, on their own heads. This is when they're being attacked by the, from the outside, and his first response is to pray. Look at verse 9 of chapter 4. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. He was a man of prayer. Guys, th this is how Nehemiah found success, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. But it was because he prayed specifically like, over and over. So when he says, he says here, in, now I'm back in verse 5, so I took counsel with myself. He's saying, I, needed, I, mean, I need to stop and pray for wisdom. And we would do well as God's people to do more of that. I would do well as a husband to do more of that. I would do well as a father to do more praying before I'm speaking. Right? Like, like once those words, my, my wife's really good about reminding us of this. Once the words come out of this face... You cannot take them back. I'm sorry does not take back those words. There's no eraser for that. Right? The scar can still be there. So make sure your words are seasoned by grace, Paul says, as with salt, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we keep going. He's like, I have a charge against you guys. You are exacting interest from each other. He's like, you're doing exactly what God told us not to do. And he said, and I, and I know this, and I grew up in a foreign land as a slave under a pagan king. And I knew better than this mess. You go down to verse 9. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of God to prevent the taunts of the nation? Guys, do you see, do you see why any of that matters? Nehemiah wasn't concerned about the wall. We talked about that the first few weeks. Nehemiah isn't even really concerned about the taxes that they're doing. Nehemiah is concerned that they're behaving just like the world. He's like, don't you see that what you're doing is allowing the other nations to taunt God? He's like, if, if you don't behave any different than the world, how can we possibly be the light and the salt of the world? Not only did, did, did God tell us in Deuteronomy 15 not like, to help each other, and we saw it in Galatians 5, but what does Jesus say? When the, guy says, when, the, when the Pharisees say, hey, so what is the great commandment? He says, love God. Love God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22. He's like, this, this is all. He said, everything else, all of the rest of this is summed up in those two things. Love God and love people. And he's like, and here you guys are treating each other so horribly. And guys, again, for us in the church, it's this, we have the same problem today. Now look at their response. And they said, verse 12, and they said, we will restore 
these, we, we will restore these, so they're going to pay back the money and, require, and give back the kids, and we're going to require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And, and, and I, I, Nehemiah, called the priests and made them swear to do. So he's like, I'm not just taking your word for it. I want the priest to show up, and you're going to swear. And then he says in verse 13, I also shook out the fold of my garment, which was just, it was like, it was like shaking the dust off your sandals in the New Testament. He said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may we be, so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen. And praise the Lord and the people did as they had promised. Guys, how in the world, whether we saw it in chapter, one, chapter two, and we see it again, we saw it in chapter four. Uh, last week, and we see it here in How in the world did Nehemiah get all these hard-hearted people to all of a sudden just go, man, you know, one, I, I kind of wish I knew the, the real, like, I wish I had his ability, like, to get the, that, like, Brian, trans, you know, trans, he's like, you know, just the, the apathy, as we were, the, for the calling passage, he was talking about the apathy and the, just the, the, frankly, the exhaustion that everybody's feeling right now. How, how does, they were feeling it too, I have no doubt. Their lives were in every way so much harder than ours. The people he's trying to convince to, do, to live for the glory of God. And yet, he does it. How? Because, one, he prayed. He prayed, and, and in the power of that prayer, Lord changed their hearts. He prayed, Lord, give me wisdom in how to communicate. And what he told them was God's plan. The, way, the reason it succeeded isn't because Nehemiah was some super leader. It was because he was telling them God's super truth. And they were so convicted in their hearts that they're like, okay, we have got to be on board with this. He led by example. Verses 14 through 19 show that. What, basically what he says in, in those verses, um, as you read them this morning, is he says, look, not only am I telling you to stop doing this, I want to show you what it looks like. He says, I have been the governor of this place for 12 years. I am allowed by law for you guys to pay me taxes because I, I feed 150 plus people a day, a day for 12 years. I have to entertain the people that come into our country. And, and he said, and I've never taken a dime from you people, and neither have my brothers. Oh, by the way, he also goes on to say in verse 16, I have persevered in the work on the wall. He's like, guys, it's not just that I told you, you guys better get to work on the wall. He jumped in and got dirty. That's what a leader does. If there's toilet paper on the floor in the bathroom, I pick it up. Why? Because I'm, not, I'm no better than anybody else. Right? It's because it's just what you do. And in doing it, you're helping other people go, oh, yeah, I guess I could probably have done that too. Right? And maybe they'll start to buy in. It's, it's, it's all part of discipleship. So we have to lead by example. Guys, men, I'm speaking to you right now, men in particular, because that's one of the things we're really hardcore about here, is men are called and charged by God to lead their families spiritually. Do not tell your kids or your wife to do something you don't do. Just don't. I, yeah, but but, but I, I know they're supposed to be in the Word every day. I know they're supposed to be praying every day. I know they're supposed to be engaged in, you know, like in small groups or whatever. So I'm really, I'm going to push them to do those things. If you're not doing it, don't tell them to. It's worse. It would be better for you to say nothing than for you to actually tell your children to do something you don't do. Because that is hypocritical, and it is exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew 7. He's like, get the, the twig, or get the log out of your own eye before you start talking about the twig in your kids. 
or your wife. You lead by example. My daughters spend time in the morning every day in the Word of God, not because I've told them to, but because they just watch their parents do it every day. And they went, oh, I guess that's what you do here. Right? That's leading. Okay, with that, I don't have it up here with me, so I'm going to have to read it off the screen, but there is a table talk question that I want to give you guys a few minutes to discuss. And it says, I'm sorry to turn my back on you again. It says, we are all people, we are, we are the people who have, ha oh, I'm sorry, who are the people who have had the greatest influence on your life? This is also in your bulletin, by the way. On your walk, on your walk with Christ. How did they do it? What was it, about, what was it about them that made an impact? So who are the people that have really impacted you just in your life generally? Like one of mine was a, was a principal I had. I wasn't even a believer. So he didn't impact my walk with Christ, but he impacted my walk as a father. He impacted my walk as an educator. I still have massive respect for that man. I am forever grateful for what he did for me. Right? But there are also people in my life, like a Mark Martin at Calvary Community Church, or like a Skip Ast at West Valley Bible, who spoke God's truth into my life, and I'm forever grateful into that, for that. And they modeled it for me. Right? So that's the first thing. Who are those people for you? And then here's the other part. Now ask yourself this, and you may not want to talk about this part, but you should. Are you living and leading in a way that will continue that gospel impact? If not, what needs to change? Guys, if, if all that Mark Martin and Skip asked poured into me died with me, because all I ever did with it was grow. Man, I, mean, I, I just know so much more word now. And my relationship with the Lord is so much better than it ever was. Praise the Lord. Not God's plan. Not God's plan. God gives so that you can give it away. So, what, so, so if there are people in your life, or there are people in your life that have spoken into your life, what are you doing to pass that down to somebody else? Ready, go. Okay, just kind of wrap it up um, in the interest of time, just because I asked you guys to pray for me that I would speed through this, and we're like way into this time, and we're only through the first chapter, and we have a whole other chapter, so obviously you guys aren't praying hard enough. But, um, but the last two points go much quicker on purpose. Um, but can I, just, can I just give you... A, a blanket answer rather than ask for input about what needs to change for this to be true in your life let me just tell you what the real answer is what here's what needs to change like if you're not passing it along because for, you know for, to other people whatever God's given to you here's here's the real answer what needs to change your perspective we as Jesse Science said several years ago we have a perspective problem and the reason that, it's, it's more, because some of you might say, well, what needs to change? I need to find the time. I need to make the time. I need to, what, the, the truth, I, I need to learn more. All of those things are rooted in a perspective that is not real. We all have 168 hours in the day. It's just is how you choose to spend them, right? You're just, you're just, spend, you're just divvying up all your, all your hours without thinking about kingdom things. So what needs to change? Your perspective on what are you living for? Who are you living for? What kingdom are you building? You might say, well, my, but my problem really was I don't think I know enough. That's a perspective problem. If you're sitting here today and you are a saved, sealed believer in Jesus Christ, you know enough. You do. You don't, don't tell me these people in third world countries that have almost 
no access to the Bible, and the gospel is going forward just life to life to life, how much can they possibly know? Right? It's the Holy Spirit. takes the, what He will give you the words in that very hour. Right? You don't have, if you're waiting to get there before you get there, you'll never get there. Right? So, it's so, so all of the things that we come up with are a perspective problem. And the most uncomfortable part about the perspective problem, outside of, I don't have enough time, I don't know enough, is, and this is the part we wouldn't even say out loud, to ourselves, so we wouldn't even say it in our heads, it's, a, it's really about me. And life is comfortable. I don't, I don't have time to go over there. I don't, like, I just don't, I don't want to. You know, what we talk about a lot in leadership here is, is our, our role as shepherds is to show people how to, lead by example. Give them space to practice it, whether it be on Sundays and small groups and just, and just doing life together. Give them the environments in which to make that happen. So here's how you do it. Here's how you make it happen. What we cannot do is give people the want to. Only the Holy Spirit can make people want to give their lives away. But what did God, this is what Karen and I prayed on the way over here. What did, what did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, if you want to be mine, if you want to be a disciple of mine, yeah, I'm a disciple of Christ. I don't have any disciples. I don't do any discipleship because I'm just a disciple of Christ. Here's the problem with that. What does he tell you? If you're really my disciple, you will deny yourself. You will take up your cross daily and follow me daily. Guys, that's not just putting up with your spouse. It's not giving you what you want. That is not your cross. Right? You will to take up your cross and follow me means you will deny yourself, you will die to self, and you will, you will do what I did. What I'm doing to you, if you're one of those that's just me and Jesus people, I don't really need to be in discipleship with other people because, or, or be discipling other people. Guys, he did. So did all the men that he discipled. It just is. There is no vernacular in Scripture. There's no place in the, in the gospel for the disciple of Christ that is not discipling. That is just not biblical. But we have made it that way. Because we've made Christianity a spectator sport. All right, that's way too much more, and, and I'm even more behind. So, guys, would you please pray? Like, seriously. Okay, so how can we help lead people to see the glory of God? First, we have to lead by example. Big things, small things. Lead by example. Do the dirty work. Yeah, do, do all those things. Then the second thing is, we have to not listen to naysayers. That's the first two-thirds of chapter 6. So, and, and because this is very much what happened in chapter 4 last week, I'm not really going to spend any time on it, except to say, here comes Sam Ballot Tobi and Tobiah again. Just like they were in chapter 2, just like they were in chapter 4, now they're in chapter 6. Oh, and oh, we got, I, I forgot Geshem the Arab. Right? And they're going to come, and because... because Here's how, here's how the, remember, big picture here, as far as conflict, Satan is trying to mess with God's people. So, Nehemiah in chapter 4 fixes the issues with the outside. Hey, trowel in one hand, sword in another, let's go build this wall. He fixes that problem. So Satan's like, okay, I'm going to start stirring the pot in the people. Chapter 5, Nehemiah, by God's wisdom, fixes that problem. So what does Satan do? He comes back to the first thing again, and he's like, hey, if I just be able to get Tobiah and Sambal and Geshem to start, to start doing stuff to, to make Nehemiah afraid, then, he, then it's going to stop the work of the wall. It's how the enemy works. If he can't get us from without, he'll get us from within, but he will be unrelenting in trying to get us. 
And that's what happens here. So, so basically what happens is Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem, they come and they say, hey, why don't you come to this town in verse 2 called Hecapharim? Hecapharim? In, your, in, some, in some, depending on your um, translation, it might be translated as a different thing. But here's, here, it, was a, it was a group of villages outside of the city of Jerusalem that was halfway between where Nehemiah was and them. So here's how he's trying to coax them in and how it relates to us today. He's ba- they are basically saying, hey, why don't you just come meet us in the middle? Just compromise. I know you're busy about God's people and stuff, but just, just come on out and compromise a little bit. That's one of the ways the enemy gets to us. Hey, just, just meet us. You know, you're, you're a little too hardcore on these things. Just come over here and be. Guys, Satan never tells us to go from, I have a, a wonderful relationship with my wife, to I'm going to have an affair. That step is way too big for most believers. So what does he say? He says, just have a heart for this person. Just pray for this person. Just pray with this person. Just take this person to lunch to encourage them. By the time you get here, that step to an affair isn't that big a deal. Now, that's just one example. You could put that in every, that is how Satan works in every area. Hey, just meet me in the middle, because if I can get you to the middle, this doesn't seem that far away anymore. Right, so we got to be careful of that. So that's the first thing that happens. That doesn't work. Nehemiah's like, no way, I'm too busy. I'm doing God's work. Leave me alone, enemy. So then, verse 5, it says, So then Samballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter. That open letter is, a, is their way of saying a newspaper. It was a letter that was to be read to all the people. So what, what Sanballat is trying to do is, the, is one of the other ways, we, and this, we already hit it hard in the first point, that the enemy tries to attack us. Gossip, slander, telling untruths, talking about things like you know they're true when they're not true. So he spreads lies. He says, he says you know what, everybody? Nehemiah wants to be king. He wants to rule over you. And, and Nehemiah's like, there's no, you've made that up. And he just keeps plowing along. He's like, I'm not going to let you distract me. And then he says, um, look at verse 9. Because here's why all this is happening. They wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work if it is not, and it will not be done. Now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Guys, get this. If you write something down today, write this down. Fear is the enemy of faith. What, what the enemy is trying to do. In, verse, in chapter 2, in chapter 4, now in chapter 6, is he's trying to make Nehemiah fearful. Because fear, fear of attack, fear of man, fear of health issues, fear, fear is the enemy of faith. Okay, so the, here's the third way that it happens. Because is this, this guy that seems like a fairly good-hearted dude named, named Shemaiah A., says, hey, Nehemiah, why don't you come hide out in the temple? Because these guys are coming to kill you, so come hide. Here was the problem. Nehemiah was not a priest. The only people that were supposed to go into the temple were the priests. Nehemiah, out of fear, he could have gone, or maybe just out of prudence, he could have gone, well, that is probably a safer place to be. It's the middle of everything. It's up high. It's protected. It's easy easy to defend. I'll go in there. Except he would have been, here's the other piece. So if the enemy can't Get us If the enemy can't do the first thing, if he can't um, get us to compromise, and he can't like, stir up the gossip and the slander against us, he'll try to get a leader to fall. And he's really good at that. Just think of the number of pastors you have seen, especially celebrity pastors, just in the last five years who have fallen from their ministry. Why? Because if you strike the shepherd, 
the sheep will scatter. And the enemy knows that, so that's part of why I would ask you to keep praying for, your, for me, but also for all the leadership, because it makes us targets. And, and Nehemiah says in verse 11, should a man such as I run away? What he's really saying is, I'm, I'm not going in there. Because I, I know that if I go in there, now you've got something to tell the people. <gasps> Look at Nehemiah is not really for God. If he was really for God, he'd know the rules. Right? And Nehemiah is just going to have none of it. Okay, so how can we help people see the glory of God? First, we have to lead by example. Second, we have to not listen to the naysayers. And the third point, and we're going to talk more about this even in our family gathering, so I'm not going to belabor it too much because it goes along with what we're going to share in our family time here in a few minutes, is we need to lead in such a way that people see the glory of God. In other words, when somebody says, why are you doing that, the, the, the end to the why should be the glory of God. And that, that should be true in, in my own life. If, if the reason I'm in the Word every day is so that I know more about God, and that's my end, that's as far as it'll go. And, I, and I distinctly remember sitting at my table when Kylie, who's now 22, was just a baby, going, Lord, I've been in your word, and I, I just want you to reveal more to me. I feel like, and I remember hearing him like, just impress upon me, Doug, what are you doing with what I've already given you? Why would I give you more when you're doing nothing? When all you're doing with what I've given you is growing and growing and growing, but there's no outflow. That's when I started discipling people at Sunrise Mountain High School. That's when I started getting engaged in the gospel. And discipling people because I'm like, okay, and man, from that point on, my growth like exponentially. That was 20 years, 21 years ago. Let's pick it up and see how the glory of God is revealed to, in Nehemiah's case. So after all of this stuff that's happened in these first five, six, six chapters, he says, ah, we get back to the wall. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Now you go, I don't, we weren't there, I don't really know how, that was huge. That was a big ask, right? We need to ask God for big things. I, I have in the front of my Bible just some things that right before I come up to teach, I'll reread to myself just to remind myself. And one of them, like just their quotes from Spurgeon and Paul Tripp and... Um, Piper and some others, but one of, the, one of the things is, I don't know where I heard it, but I have it written down, is preach God big, not small. Powerful, not puny. Right? We need, to, we need to pray God big, not small. Powerful, not puny. That sounds like the uh, prosperity gospel, only if you're looking for self-prosperity. The, the, the problem isn't in praying big things. The problem is praying selfish things. That's the prosperity gospel. Pray God big. Preach God big. Teach God big. Look at the result. Guys, two, two quotes that I've heard. That One was a Blackaby quote when we did the Experiencing God study. If we can explain it. Now think about this. Even in light of we're out of here in a, in a month and a half. Right? If we can explain how God is going to do what God is going to do, if we can explain it all rationally, God didn't do it. That means we better ask big and pray a lot. Because we got some big asks. And the other thing is Mark Cousins down in Costa Rica, our missionary supporter or that we support in Costa Rica, he would ask this of us all the time. What did you see God do today that only he could do? Guys, ask yourself that question every day. Lord, show, like, show me something today that only you could do. And at the end of your day, ask yourself, 
what, what did you do today that only you could do? If you get through every day after day, and I don't, I don't do that every day like I should, but if I get through every day going, I never really saw God work, again, the problem is not that God is not working, the problem is with me. So ask that question. Look at verse 16, and we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to have the music team come up, and they're going to um, pass out the communion trays. He says this, because this, this is the point of the whole letter. Remember what we talked about, like, why ask? Like, why is Nehemiah in the Bible? I started with that. Then we want, one of the other questions we want to ask is, we're, as we're training you to teach God's word to other people, one of the questions when somebody comes to you with a verse, hey, this is my life verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. I loved, I loved how, how Brian brought that up. And he, he took it to the whole conclusion, which was a great thing. But most people don't even know what verses Jeremiah 12, 13, and 14 say. All they know is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you. Who here knows Jeremiah 29, 11? I'm not going to ask you to say it. Who here knows it? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's my life first, Lord. I'm not going to get into the debate about whether that, some people will say that was only a promise for Israel. I don't believe that. I'm not in that camp because Peter wasn't in that camp. The apostle Peter wasn't in that camp. Here's the problem. If I know the plans, okay, you, have the, you prosper me and, and, and grow me, Lord. That's not what that promise is about. He's talking about God's people, which is now the church. He's saying, my plans for you is to prosper you. Why? So that I will release you from bondage, you will reveal my grace, and, see, and people will see my glory. Guys, we have to live in a way that people see the glory of God. That's why he blesses us. It's the only reason. It is the... He, I know that makes God sound selfish. He's God. He deserves it all. He doesn't want it all. He deserves it all. Look at what it says in verse 16. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. Do you see what happened? The reason God let them finish the wall in 52 days was so that the people that were not of the people of God would look and go, Wow. Like, I don't know what happened there, but something miraculous happened there. And I want to go find out what it is. It's what happened in the passage that Scott started us off in the prayer time with in Acts 2. Peter's like, what, what, Peter convicts them with the sermon. They're like, what do we need to do? He's like, you need to repent and believe. And 3,000 are added to their number that day. Why? Because God would get the glory. It wasn't because Peter said the right thing. Same thing, with, it wasn't about Nehemiah, it wasn't about a wall, it was about the fact that the pe people around them were afraid, and, and here's why. We're finishing it up with this, and you guys can start playing whenever you want, and I'll be quiet. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our Lord. Guys, are we living our lives in a way that, that, that guys, somebody else prayed this, and not knowing that this is what I was going to talk it's just so cool how the Holy Spirit works these things out even in our prayer time. And if you're missing our prayer time, you're missing out. Paul says a couple times in 1 Corinthians, somebody said one of them, 1 Corinthians 3 and again in chapter 6, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? That God lives in you? Because that means that our lives ought to be like the city of Jerusalem was, like the temple was. Just instruments that he can play to show his glory. Is your life being lived for the glory of the one who gave it to you? Is your new life in Christ being lived for the glory of the one who gave it to you?
Because as we go into this time of response and they're going to play a little song and then we'll have, I, I, want, I just want to ask you, continue to ask yourself that question. Is your life being lived for the glory of the one who gave it to you? And if not, what needs to change? Because that's what we're here for. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that we can, by your grace, in our lives, be glory revealers. We're not manufacturers. We just reveal it. Our job in it, Lord, is the want to. Perspective. So Lord, I want to pray that in this time of response, as we um, just take time to soak in the Spirit, that you would bring to mind the words that were spoken in the message or prayed today during the prayer time, and that it would be to the end that it would help us to see the why. The why of our very lives is the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.